ESPN 97.5. Astros play baseball tonight against the Oakland single A's. They will try to even the series after they got shut out yesterday by the single A's. You know, one hitter going into the ninth inning. Uh, Astros lead the division by two. 17 games left to play. They lead the Rangers. They own the tiebreaker over the Rangers. That's good news. Uh, they lead the Mariners by two and a half games. They do have JV on the mound tonight. Justin Verlander going toe-to-toe with uh, J.P. Sears of the Oakland Single A's. Let's assume for a second, Blankers, that the Astros make the playoffs. Let's assume for a second they lead the they, they win the American League West. So they go straight into the division series. You're playing a division series. You need four starters. I don't think that they're going to ask Justin Verlander or Framber Valdez to pitch on three days rest. I think that's dangerous. They pitched Lance McCullers on four days rest, and he never recovered from that. Uh, so I don't think they'll be doing a sort of three-man rotation, a starter on short rest. I think they'll be going straight up four-man rotation. Fromber and JV, and then you pray for rain. But Fromber and JV are your one and two. Some, some you know, shape or fashion. However it plays out, it plays out. How do you handle the rest of the playoff rotation? Well, it, it, it's, it's a difficult scenario because you're going man versus the machine, so to speak. The man, Dusty Baker, is going to do whatever he's going to do. The machine is the well-oiled machine of the golden era of Houston Astros baseball that seems to be pretty good at doing what they need to do. But Dusty's going to Dusty. We know Pawpaw's belly is going to dictate exactly what's going to be done, and that's scary to me because I think you and I are both on the same page that J.P. France is the guy that should get the number three starting spot, and he's earned that. He's literally earned it the entire season. Yeah, there's been a hiccup here and there, but overall he has been as consistent as any pitcher in this rotation. But Dusty loves him some Christian Javier. And the same way he loves Montero, and he kept slowly kind of nursing him back into the backside of the bullpen for for the work in the high leverage situations. This is the scary thing to me, is that I can legitimately see Dusty trying to do the same thing with Javier and going with what he always go to as his excuse. This guy's been there and done that. He's done it before. You know, this guy's got a resume, and he's going to lean to do what we all don't think he should and he's going to put Javier in the three spot, which would be very disturbing to me. Because we always say, I just don't want Dusty to do the, these kind of dusty, he's going to dusty things in the playoffs. This is the year he might. But the, the, real, the real answer to the question is, J.P. France should be three, and four should be a piggyback, or any way you've got to do it. We've talked about this. Javier should be your four, in my opinion. Javier is more consistent and has been through more than, than Hunter Brown. Hunter Brown also has been in the bullpen like Javier, so either guy can go to the pen. But whether you piggyback those two guys or you work Rikidi and do that as well, you have two guys right there that piggyback in the four spot, and that's where you leave it. I think that uh, I think Rikidi's out of the equation. Like the, completely, the, they they haven't used him as a starter in. No, a no, month. I'm saying in the piggyback, like he'd be the back. Well, yeah, I, I don't know if they trust him enough. Quite frankly, like he's not at all a part of uh, of this rotation right now. He's so been you've got those two guys though. At least you've got yeah. yeah you've got more than most. He, he's more of a mop up if you're mm-hmm. in a, in a bad situation. So I I kind of dismiss Urquidy from this conversation. Um, I think that Dusty is going to favor Christian Javier, to your point. I, I think that you're right about that. If I'm making the decision, and look, no one's run away with this. Like, J.P. France, uh, he's been solid. J.P. France has not been as dominant as he was in his first 10, 11, 12 starts uh, as an Astro. Christian Javier has been lousy for quite some time now. Hunter Brown. The Yankee start wasn't lousy. What's that? The Yankee start wasn't lousy. It ended bad late, but he was cruising. And he really had the Yankees at bay for five-plus innings. And his pitch count wasn't all the mistakes that he had been making. He didn't. And then he just kind of he gave up a bomb. That was his best start in a while. Three yeah. runs, six hits. Or three uh, runs and six innings. The one against Boston wasn't 
he was like on like playing with fire that entire game, yeah. but gave up three runs over five. But to the point, I don't think any of these starters are running away with being able to guarantee them a start in the postseason. For me, JP France has been the most consistent. JP France has been the most reliable. Like JP France is getting one of those first four starts for me. I don't really even care the order of game three, game four. I guess I do a little bit because if you're down 0 2, I'd rather have JP France on the mound. Um, now, after that, is difficult because Christian Javier has the ability to dominate a team. We haven't seen it in a while, but has the ability to dominate a team. To the start that you're referencing against the Yankees, struck out eight over six innings. That's kind of dominant. We know that Hunter Brown can be dominant. Hasn't done it in a really long time, but has dominant stuff. So I go J.P. France with my number three, and then I'm going to get creative here with my number four starter. I'm going to go Javier two times through the lineup, and I'm going Hunter Brown two times through the lineup. And however that plays out, that plays out. If Christian Javier needs you know, two, three innings to face the first two trips to the lineup, hopefully you pull him out of the game before that's the, that's happens. But I do not let Christian Javier go a third time through the rotation. Numbers better for pitchers when they face a lineup twice as opposed to three times. And then I'm piggybacking Hunter Brown because Javier throws a lot of pitches. We know that. Uh, two times through the lineup for, for Christian Javier – you know, that might be might be four innings, depending on how he's getting hit, depending on, you know, his command, things like that. Might be three innings. So some some combination of Javier two times to the lineup, whether that's three, four, five innings, and then I'm looking at the same thing with Hunter Brown. Now, the one positive that you have if you're the Astros, you have a deep bullpen. You got Ryan Presley, you got Brian Abreu, you got Hector Neris. Some people are kind of in and out on Rafael Montero. Some people are kind of in and out on Kendall Graveman. Some people are kind of in and out on Phil Maton. Yeah, yeah, Maton but that's yeah. six guys. Like, that's six guys. You don't need a starter to go deep into a game. Game. But you can go four innings handed to the bullpen and you're off and you know score some runs. But let me throw this at you because it's something you you brought up that I'm on board with that we, we have to talk about in this scenario, which is you'd like them to go through the lineup two times. Mm-hmm. They might not make but it. how quick is your hook? Because quick. both of these guys, you got to have guys warming up almost immediately for both guys because if they go, they could go in a hurry and it could get out of hand and a crooked number could be on the board in the playoffs. You can't have that. So especially and particularly with Javier, but we know control's been an issue with Hunter Brown. You're going to have to have guys ready and waiting to go. Dusty can't sit in hem and haw on these guys. If they don't have it, you can't stick with them very long. No, you have a quick leash in the postseason. And especially with the bullpen that you have, you have the luxury of having a quick leash. And if you're going piggyback, look, Javier might get into trouble in the second where he walks you know, two hitters in a row after two outs, nobody on. It's like, okay, well, this is a spot. Let's go with our fireman, whoever you, you know, that is, probably Phil Maton. So you get Maton to clean up the second. Then you turn it over to Hunter Brown. Hopefully he gives you three innings, takes you through five, and now you turn to the, right. over to the bullpen. Right. Like, I think Dusty Baker's strategy after Fromber and after Justin Verlander is get it to the fifth inning and hand the keys over to the bullpen. Everybody, France is going to have a short leash. Javier is going to have a short leash. Hunter Brown's going to have a short leash. But I think that's the strategy. You're starting uh, some combination of, France, some combination of Javier, some combination of Hunter Brown. You might have a reliever that comes in and cleans up the inning because they, they don't want Hunter Brown to you know come in with a runner at second, two outs. They want to give him a fresh inning. Right. Remember, they did this with Jimmy Garcia. We see it a lot now with Phil Maton. So you have a fireman that comes and cleans up the inning. You give the starter the fresh inning, and then you hope it gets you to the sixth inning and you hand it over to your four leverage guys. Now, the only thing that, with that that brings up a problem in the, as the series goes on is you know some of your bullpen and your high-leverage guys in the back end of your bullpen, and in particular Ryan Presley is a guy you're going to worry about if if you know, you're know you burning him two and two and three games in a row, worried about that kind of stuff. Now, you do have Fromber and you do have JV, and you're expecting those guys to go deep. Yeah. But the one thing is you've you got to be careful about how you, you use the back end of your bullpen or how frequent you use the back end of your bullpen because 
They are so important that you're because you're three and four aren't going to go deep. I'm not really worried about it in the division series because you have two Seven off days in a five game. Like you're going game one, game two, off day, game three, game four, off day, game five. So like I'm, you're not going to have a reliever that has to go three days in a row because you have the natural built-in off day. So. Uh, I look at the ALDS as like, yeah, I'm going to use and abuse my bullpen. Like, if I need to use the like, if I need to use in every single game, Graven in the fifth, Montero in the sixth, Neris in the seventh, Abreu in the eighth, Presley in the ninth. I'm willing to do that every single game in that series. Two days on, one day off. Two days on, one day off. You can get you can get away with it in the division series. I agree. I just think big picture. You're going to need length from JV and, and Frommer for this strategy to like really work. You can't have, you know, the Justin Verlander series of last year to start the start the World Series. Like, or that's why you need Jose Arquiti on the roster. I disagree. Like, because, what if like, you, if, if Frommer goes five innings, two runs, and JV goes five innings, two runs, and you hand it over to those four leverage guys? Yeah, they're pitching back to back days, but back to back is not insurmountable. It's not three days in a row. It's not. But these guys also have already, all of them have eclipsed their season. Their high like career pitching like, innings pitch, yeah. so like they're already kind of maxed out as it is, and then you're gonna keep adding to that in the playoffs. You just you need some length, like you you need Fromber and Jay Blake. like you need at least one of them to go seven, yeah, and, and then I think like I, if you can get that, then this strategy can work. I'd but like the hooks got to be quick. part of that too. Stanek right now would be ideal because you can get him to shut a door down real quick earlier in a game, knowing you still got those guys on the back end, but you know that he's got the stuff enough to get you out of trouble. I've kind of written Stanek off. I don't the whole playoffs. Yeah, it's because it's because of the while, injury. It's, it's it's not because I don't believe in Stanek. I just that looked nasty. High ankle sprain. It's his push leg. Like I'm not counting on Ryan Stanek to make it back. Plus, I don't think you can keep your arm up to speed literally yeah. and fresh while you're dealing with a leg injury. Like you can play soft toss, right. but you're not really you're not you know. Or you can up throw without using your lower body, which yeah. can screw everything up more than anything else. Just take you out of your your, your mechanics, things like that. Zero five eight eight JV Fromber France Javi three innings Brown three innings. I'm not even going three innings. I'm going two turns through the lineup. Hopefully they get me through there. Like I do not want the leadoff hitter for the Rangers in this case to be Marcus Simeon to have three looks at Christian Javier to have or, three or, looks or you better Brown. have a big enough lead if you let him go out there yeah. and try. And you that like that's the other thing is like you can kind of play it by Phil. Right. Like that's your plan going in. But if you're up five to nothing and it's the fourth inning and he's about to see his third time through the lineup, okay, you got a little wiggle room. And there. if you had to use your bullpen a little bit more than you would have liked in one of the other games or the game previous, then you definitely would let it ride a little bit. More. Yeah, yeah. You can you have the wiggle room. You can kind of play it by ear here a, a little bit. And you guys think that the the opener. Full bullpen game with Dusty Baker is completely off the I just table. Yeah, I do, and I think it. I don't think it would help them. I don't. I don't. I don't know what that looks like either. Like you're starting. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to lose any of my back end guys. It's typically you have a long guy come in next. Yeah, right? you're, you're bulk guy. So like, if the Astros went that route, I'm just trying to like kind of envision what that looks like. You're. Stanek did it a lot in Tampa, but let's just say it's Maton. Like, Maton opens the game. He gets three outs. Maybe it's – who cares? Like, who cares who it is? A reliever gets three outs in the first inning, and then you're handing it to J.P. France from the second through the fourth or fifth. I don't know what the win there is for the Astros. Like, a lot of times you see teams do it, the Rays specifically, because there's one team that has three dominant right-handed hitters at the top, so they'll balance – like, they'll bring in a righty to open the game to counteract those guys. And then they go left. And then they go, like, a lefty or a soft-tossing righty that, you know – so I don't know if the Astros have the matchups there, quite frankly. I think, I, I think so, too. It's just it feels like everything and anything should be on the table 
right now. Even just asking Hunter Brown to go one inning to start a game, like his last starts, the perfect example. His first inning, his fourth inning were absolutely dominant. It's his second and third where he got just shelled, and like you just you need him to give you two or three innings of good ball and then get him out of there. Scott says Verlander, Fromber, France, and they pick a name out of a hat. Like the old Billy Martin, throw darts on the board and pull the name out of a hat to set up the batting order. Um, you realistically could take the three guys that have started and do what Joe said, just empty the tank and, and just go Javier, Brown, and Urquidy. And, you, and you, you know, Urquidy kind of gives you a little bit more off balance. Maybe you put him in the middle, but you just let him empty the tank and hope you get an inning. And if a guy's really clicking, maybe you give him another. But you don't take too many chances to, to know the fact that you get back to the horses. I just don't know their trust level in using Urquidy like in a big spot. I mean, he's out of the rotation now. Yeah, I don't, I don't see their, I don't see them using Urquidy in a big spot. One other thing to keep in mind, in like assuming that the schedule plays out, like the schedule plays out. Game two starter is on normal rest for game five. Yeah. So like if if Verlander started game one and Fromber was your game two starter, like Verlander's probably not pitching on short rest. He's probably starting game five, but Fromber will be fully rested for that game if necessary too. So like you can tax your bullpen a little bit more in the first four games, knowing that whoever's starting game one and game two would be fully rested for that game five. You just want to you just wouldn't want to try have to burn both of them. In the game five, yeah, I mean, I mean, because it would really you put to, you behind the eight ball for the start of the next series. But an elimination game, you, you, you got to win, right? You got to get there so you have the problem. But at the same time, boy, that would really suck. It would, it, it would put you in a bad spot. It would almost be like using Roy Oswalt in Game Six of the NLCS in 05 mm-hmm. and then not having him available in Game One of the World Series. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six the HR and P listener line. Josh Allen. He is not a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Something that you need in your life, and I tell you about this every day, uh, it's a great pleasure to tell you about Gentle Ben for a variety of reasons. At the top of that list is because I believe what I say. Gentle Ben is the best. Whether it's the vodka, best in the state, the gin, best in the market, or the bourbon. The double platinum winner at the prestigious Ascot Awards. Gentle Ben uses their innovative, revolutionary technology that eliminates impurities for the cleanest, smoothest spirits you'll ever taste. Smooth, clean, eliminates the burn. Don't labor through your drink. Enjoy it. Savor it. And you can do that with Gentle Ben. Head to GentleBen.com to learn the incredible story. Head to the Gentle Ben tasting room or stop by your favorite liquor store on the way home today. Total Wine, Specs, many of the local stores. Pick up a bottle uh, today. Also, new to the Gentle Bin.com website, you can order Gentle Bin from anywhere. Order it on the website. They will deliver it to you. So you don't have to stop by the liquor store. You can just head to the website right now, GentleBin.com, and they will send you some of the very, very best. If you're headed to an Astros game like tonight, stop by the Gentle Bin bar on your way into your seats as well. Gentle Bin, highest craft. Say it with me, class. Say it with me. Three. 4%. Three. Get it right. Sake of accuracy, which Spencer's not for accuracy. Apparently aren't for accuracy either. Uh, Josh Allen was atrocious in yesterday's game. He couldn't also beat. Also not for accuracy. No, not for accuracy. Oh, no, good point. Yeah, not for accuracy. He couldn't beat Zach Wilson in a football game where he was spotted points. Josh Allen, look, great fantasy quarterback. He's a volume stat guy. He's going to put up numbers. He's going to have huge weeks. He's going to have weeks where he accounts for four touchdowns, 300 yards. He's going to have weeks where he single-handedly wins you a fantasy football game. He's going to have weeks where if you roster him in a daily fantasy sports site, you're, you're going to have a really good chance to win. 
You cannot win a Super Bowl with Josh Allen. He makes way too many mistakes, whether it's interceptions, whether it's taking sacks, whether it's putting the football on the ground. He has too many negative plays to win a Super Bowl with him. Interception late in the third quarter, terrible. Then the one in the fourth quarter yesterday forced into triple coverage. He had a fumble, and this is the norm for Josh Allen. Not every week, not every week, but one every three, four games, Josh Allen's going to have a stinker. And what do you have to do to win a Super Bowl? You have to, one, make the playoffs. If you're lucky enough to get a bye, which is difficult to do in the AFC, but if you're lucky enough to get a bye, you have to win three games against playoff caliber competition to win a Super Bowl. I don't believe that Josh Allen is capable of having the consistent play necessary to win three games in a row against playoff competition. Yeah, I do. I just think that it's not... It's not like when you're trying to teach someone to be more accurate with the football. It's the fact that he's got to be smarter in his decision-making and the things that he does. He has the skill set. He has the big body. He has the ability to run. He can throw and make most all of the throws with a strong arm. But it's the decisions that he makes and when he decides to make them that is definitely at the crux of of, of what you're saying. I, I just... I think that's what the Bills have tried to do was surround him with so much talent, too, that maybe he trusts them as much as he thinks he has to do it all on his own arm and his own legs and that he can kind of be more of a game manager or be more of a guy that gets more people involved in the offense. He falls victim to guys like Diggs getting all over him and feels like, like last night I felt like he felt like he had to throw the ball to Diggs when there were better options out there on certain plays. But I, I can't say that he can't or he's not going to win the big one. Yeah, the, the mistakes and the turnovers for me can't, can't win with it. If you look at the career of Josh Allen, too. Also, he had that play where there was like third and 15, and he's 10 yards away from the first down marker, and he's trying to leap over defenders. What are you doing, dude? Like, you, you get hurt, season's over for the Buffalo Bills. Like, you can't be taking hits like that. So it's like those type of decisions where he's making himself prone to injury, which you shouldn't be doing that in that spot. Like, fighting for a first down, different. Jumping for the pylon, different. Jumping to gain an extra two yards when the first down marker's 10 yards away on third down is stupid. The, the thing that was shocking to me, he's never won an overtime game. There's another ring. I hadn't realized that. Yeah, so the overtime not, as well. He's 0 I think after last night, he's 0-5 in overtime games. And they changed the rules for him. But then I look at the game, you know, and you can say all those things. But then you look at what he did against Mahomes, where they literally changed the playoff overtime rules because of it, because he was just as good as Mahomes and didn't get the ball the last time. And you go, that's why I believe he could win one. See, P.D. Pablo on Twitter says that's a top three defense. And he says, well, that's what you see in the postseason. And that's where I'm at. Like, Josh Allen, to me, does not have the consistency to win three games in a row against playoff competition. And we've seen this in the playoffs. Let's look at Josh Allen in the playoffs. He's been in the playoffs four times. 2019, they lost to the Texans. They lost to Bill O'Brien. Right. They lost they to Deshaun did, yeah. Watson. They had a 16 to nothing lead. Now, Deshaun Watson had heroics. But that means that Josh Allen didn't have heroics. Josh Allen couldn't close a 16 nothing lead against a Bill O'Brien team in a game where he threw, he didn't have a touchdown pass. He took three sacks and he lost a fumble. 24 for 46. Highly inaccurate as well. The very next year, 2020, Buffalo Bills win the division, uh, win the AFC East. Divisional championship round. They have to go to Arrowhead. They have to go to Kansas City. That's difficult. That's hard. I understand. You're going to face Mahomes in Arrowhead. Not easy to do. What did 
Josh Allen do? 28 for 48, 287 yards, two TDs, interception, took four sacks. Too many negative plays, too many turnovers. 2021, this was that classic where they lost to Kansas City in the overtime, changed the rules. He was fantastic in that game. I can't slight Josh Allen, 2021 divisional round at Arrowhead. He was unbelievable. One of the best games we've seen in the last three years. Last year, they win the division title, divisional champs. They're at home. They're at home against Cincinnati, and the Bengals blow them out of the playoffs. Josh Allen, 25 of 42, ho-hum, low accuracy, throws an interception. I don't think Josh, 264, on 42 attempts. He was playing behind. He was slinging it all over. Yeah, he was. I don't believe that Josh Allen is consistent enough. I don't believe that Josh Allen can week after week, and again, it takes three games to win the Super Bowl, even if you win the, the bye, even if you're the bye in the AFC. I just don't believe that Josh Allen has the consistency that is necessary to win a Super Bowl. Like, highlight-worthy plays, he's going to have huge games. One of them is in the playoffs, 2021 against Kansas City. Do you think that he's at an age right now where he's not going to change? He's not going to change his game and his his decision-making? Not really. Not really. Like, I can, like, one, like we talked about this earlier with uh, Anthony Richardson, right? I think that's the hardest part of your game to improve. Like, quarterback accuracy, I think, is really difficult yep. to improve. Like, your, your numbers are going to get a little better because the game's going to slow down. You're going to get a sense of the game. But a guy who's like a 55% completion guy coming out of college, what is his, like, ceiling? 62, 65? Like, Allen last year was a 63% passer. That's not awful, but it's not very good. No, but the, and then the reason why I asked that, too, is because of the fact that the other thing that it's so difficult to ask a guy to change as he gets later in his career is what's instinctive. And instinctive for him is trying to run every chance he gets or doing the kind of things you're talking about where he's going to put his body in harm's way to try and and get an extra yard or two or a first down or, or thinking that that's so meaningful to him and his team or trying to paint a ball into in between two defenders at a time when you just need to be protective of a lead or take care of the football. Those are the kind of things, you're right, because we both agree that the toughest thing you can do is take a quarterback and try and teach him to be more accurate. Yeah. But I think right next to that, if you got a guy like an Anthony Richardson who's used to using his legs and running as much as he does, now you're getting him young enough to where you can try and mold him a little bit more. Yeah. But at 27 years old, if Josh Allen is used to his entire career, college, high school, pro, Running and doing everything the way he just instinctively ha- and you're telling him now you got to change. He's 27. That, that's a bigger challenge. Like I, I agree. I think Anthony Richardson, young in his career, it's easier to kind of change. Like it's kind of like you know Josh Allen's this hard molded clay. Like it's very difficult to break that open. Whereas Anthony Richardson, early in his career, like you can forge it a little bit better uh, than where Allen's at at this stage of his career. Like the accuracy is something that I don't think. Like Josh Allen did a good job of that. Like Allen first two years was in the 50s. He got it up to 69. Now has dripped has dropped the last three years sixty or two years sixty three percent sixty three percent. Anthony Richardson will see what happens in his career. But the other thing that I think is very difficult for a quarterback to like change their stripes, especially at the age of twenty seven years old, is decision making. Like if you're a quarterback who's made terrible decisions for six years into your NFL that's, career, that's saying, I yeah. don't think that's going to go away. So yeah. Allen turnover prone. He makes poor decisions. You can't win a Super Bowl with that type of quarterback. No, I, I just think you can, but I think now it's really dependent on every on surrounding him. Like I was thinking, almost Brock Purdy, but he obviously is better than Brock Purdy. But to get so that he would understand that there's so many weapons around him that what he really needs to do is just follow the script, follow the game plan, do what you you know. There's going to be times that you're going to have to kind of ad lib it, 
I keep holding out hope more, hope more than anything else because of that playoff game against the Chiefs. Because he, in a, in a massive moment, he didn't back down. He didn't falter. It was the rules that faltered and didn't give him a chance to actually still continue that game and, and get get a chance to, to go to the, to the to the next round. Kind of nitpick that. What? Can they pick that sure. a little bit? Of course. He's own five in overtime now. Well, yeah. I said that. Yeah, Blankers yeah. said that. When you, you stepped out. Have. I had said that. I, but I'm saying you shouldn't step out, Joe. The Sorry, one thing that I do I have confidence that I, I won't lose complete confidence in him is because of how well he played in that game. I think he can win one. Like, you no, know, I think he can win a. Oh, you're saying one Super Bowl? I think I, I don't. I think he'll. I think he will win a Super Bowl in his career, but I don't think he's a multi Super Bowl champion because, like, we saw Brett Favre win one. Obviously, like Shut your mouth should have won. Aaron Rodgers has won. You know, Joe Flacco has won. Why you got to go two Packers off the top? Because they both have won. Well, because we beat you last. But and Flacco, like, like, like he's they not go on these, lose you a game. Now Farve would. Farve oh, could Favre, lose you a game. He did. And he that's did what with yeah. that that Minnesota New Orleans. Game. And that's yeah. Josh Allen. Like Josh Allen is Brett Favre. Like that. That's who he is. He takes a lot of risks. They're bad risks. But like he's going to go on a heater at some point in the playoffs. And I think win a Super Bowl and get one. Yeah, I think the key, Joe, there. is he's got to have a good running back and a good running game. They like just a don't really even try. No, a re- but I'm saying a really good running game would maybe, to your point, Jeremy, maybe he wouldn't have to change his stripe so much because he just has to give it to a workhorse running back or two yeah. that can get him yards on the ground. Do you see him doing that though? Like they, you see Josh Allen with heavy usage, heavy they, well, usage. One, he's got to replace. They're going. Diggs is going to go in about a year. Yeah, and they're going to need to. They have to replace. And I him. can understand why he's not happy. Like Diggs took a lot of heat for that. But if I'm Diggs, I'm looking at a quarterback that I can't win a title with. Why do you think he was bet? He was trying to cheer up and, and encourage Allen last night because he knows his next contract is dependent upon him still playing at a high level, and he can't do that if he can't get the football. Did we include Jonathan Taylor, the Bills, in the Jonathan Taylor mix earlier when you said that? Yeah, I, no, no, I, I don't, like, I don't I think like you James did. Cook. I like James Cook a lot. I, but like, I think I do too, but it feels like they're not going to use him. But yeah. I feel like I've also liked the Bills running backs the last like, five years. He touched the ball yesterday. Like, I hadn't looked at the numbers but on that game yet, but Cook I thought was very active. But I'm saying if you put if you put like a San Francisco situation around Josh Allen, Josh Allen can win a Super Bowl. But Josh Allen has to have enough belief in his mind and trust and confidence in the guys <laughs> around him and a coaching staff that encourages him. Stop trying to do it all yourself. Yeah. And I don't, you know, like I said, I don't know at that age if, if that's going to work. This is going to sound crazy, but if I'm Shanahan in the 49ers, I feel like I have a better chance to win it all with Brock Purdy than Josh Allen. Well, because you had a loaded team. But it, well, Josh Allen would have a loaded team if we're swapping them. But Josh Allen's going to screw it up. Oh, you're saying up. if you take either guy and put him on the no, Niners. No, I'm saying put your Kyle Shanahan. You have the option right now, Josh Allen, Brock Purdy, to win it all in 2023. I think Kyle Shanahan takes Brock Purdy because he knows that he can trust Brock Purdy in the moment. Josh Allen's going to make a superstar play. But Josh Allen's going to throw an interception at a critical time. Josh Allen's going to put the ball on the ground when his team can't have it. But if I'm Kyle Shanahan, yeah. I, I I understand the, the one thing that Purdy. The only reason why I would consider Purdy is because he knows the system, and, and that's what Shanahan knows. But Shan, you give Shanahan a weapon like Allen and all the weapons around him, and and Shanahan's going to make him better and really capitalize on all of his skills. I, I think Shanahan takes Josh Allen. Mike Singletary can't do it. The problem can't win is, with him. He's got that. He's got the far like gunslinger. He, he's just he tries to put the I ball. I think that in was places. his idol when he was little. I'm he's sure jumping it looks for like a it. first down, trying to gain ten yards, I mean, he leaping over. He's going to get hurt. The one guy. He's Farv in the yeah. the one play that keeps coming to mind. That's Farv esque is that one where they were backed up into their own end zone. And he just threw it farther than anybody could throw a football and got the the 99-yard the, the touchdown. Gun. And you're like, he has got an absolute cannon. The um, 
one thing, like the first interception, I don't blame Allen a whole lot. I don't know if it was his thinking, but it was like third and long, throw it deep, you pinned him inside the five, like whatever. That, that, that doesn't even count as an interception for me. Like that's better than a punt. But the other two interceptions, brutal. The fumble, brutal. Hadn't been that good lately either. Can't win with Josh Allen. All right, I got to dip out. What do you? It's the Killer Bees. Hey, back on the Bees, final half hour of the program, taking you up till 6 o'clock. It's Joey G and me as we let Jeremy get out of here. He had another commitment he had to get to, so we want to make sure we keep rolling through. Joseph, you had a little bit of an idea. With all the different things we've talked about after week one of this Texan season and the fact that it didn't go as we had hoped, but there were still some positives, we flipped the script a little bit and we start talking about the negatives. Yeah, I, I think that one thing we just haven't had a chance to really talk about is just our biggest issue with week one. And I think there's a lot of ways you can go with this. Uh, the, the first thing, part of it is almost, it's jealousy, I think in a way, of watching Baltimore and the way they use Zay Flowers oh, man, throughout yeah. that entire game versus the way the Texans use Tank Dell. Like, it, it felt like everything that we we hope to see this season from Tank Dell at some point, we saw in week one from Zay Flowers. Damian Pierce... I was really hoping he was going to run the ball a lot more. And then a lot of people are, I I think a lot of people are split on the fourth down stuff, whether you're okay with going forward on fourth down versus, you know, I was good with it, but I hated the play calling. So my number one thing, it is tank Dell. Like, I think it's very clear. Robert Woods was good in this game. Nico Collins was good, but tank Dell had 37 snaps in this game on the offensive side of the ball. And he just he's proven through the preseason. We knew what he was in college. I just I think he needs to be on the field more and really be more part of this offense pretty much right away. That's my biggest issue, honestly, with week one was the use of Tank Dell. I can rectify two of those things. I can't rectify Tank Dell because I felt the same way you did. I looked at what Zay Flowers was doing and I felt like the Texans had the exact kind same kind of weapon on their roster and they're not doing it with both guys both being rookies both in similar situations you've got a quarterback that was completely under fire in his first start and you could have made it a lot easier if you just got it out of his hands quickly and got it you know put tank in different positions to get the ball in his hands and do something with it Jeremy and I had the conversation off air after the game and I agree with him Zay Flowers might be a bit more athletic in terms of his his quick quickness, I mean, his, his juke moves and maybe his, his physical attributes. But Tank Dell is capable of doing the same kind of things in terms of being a gadget-type receiver and or run, you know, entering him into the running game in motion, doing things that could have helped alleviate some of the issues you have with my biggest issue, which is to your other two points. That is the fact that Pierce could have done a whole lot more if he had an offensive line that could have opened up more holes. 100%. The offensive line already puts your quarterback behind the eight ball because the minute he got the ball in his hands, conceivably on every play, he was turning and looking quickly, knowing that there was rush and heat coming from an edge, coming from inside, coming from all over the football field, so that he, even if he knew exactly where the ball should go and what the right read was, he wasn't capable of doing it a lot of times because there was already too much pressure coming and he had to run for his life or create more time. So I think that my biggest pet peeve was something that we already knew was going to be something that we were going to be dealing with in this game and maybe the first four, and that is that the offensive line play was way below par, way below average. I know DJ Bienemy has has told us this has the capabilities of being a top 10 offensive line. The only way it has any chance of doing that is if they're completely intact and healthy, and I don't know what week we're going to see the first chance for that to happen. You have to figure out left guard after you get Juice Scruggs back and after you get Howard back. 
But I think that until you get to that point, that's why I'm so hesitant to do anything but a game-by-game analysis of a C.J. Stroud because he's behind the eight ball before he even takes a snap. Yeah, he definitely is. And it's interesting, like, watching – I've watched as much as the All-22 I can. And Jeremy, if you guys haven't noticed, uh, it's at Jeremy Branham. Uh, he's put out a lot, a lot of clips today from the game. And you can see C.J. – I still feel like he did the, the best he could. And, like, it, it's, it feels like a participation trophy – when I say that, but when when you have the talent and the offensive line that he did, like it, it was it was fine. Like it, it wasn't you know I think you expect more, and I think he also was just really when you look at the competition of of what he was dealing with versus like Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young, it's such a different level. Like while like I like the Falcons defense, there are some nice pieces on the Panthers defense, or, or on um, like going against Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen. Felt like such a disadvantage for CJ Stroud yeah. in week one. And that's where like I, I probably at this point will have way too high of expectations for what week two is going to look like. Because I don't think the Colts outside of DeForest Buckner really have that good of a defense. And and honestly, I think CJ should be able to move the ball pretty well against me. We looked at what happened with Jacksonville last week. Obviously the Texans do not have a good of a wide receiver as Calvin Ridley, who was incredible in his first game back in the NFL. But like the Colts got beat up pretty good by Trevor Lawrence in that passing game. And, and C.J. Stroud, I would be disappointed if we have another game that's coming Sunday where he doesn't get into the end zone through the air. Like, that would be – that's a big concern. Like, if we're going to do, do the golf score route uh, on Monday, so I think it was what we're going to do, that already feels like a, a double bogey if he doesn't score this upcoming weekend. Yeah, look – when you factor in everything that we're dealing with with this entire situation and, and the entire general outlook of the offense, the team, who they're playing, what they're going up against, and you look at Indianapolis and you look at the Texans, and, and again, this is going to be mere images because of the quarterback situation, because of the division, because of everything that we're going into. You look at it and say, yeah, you know what? Baltimore, you're right, because Queen, to me, was as impressive as anybody on the field. Yeah, both those guys were awesome. Yeah, and, and to have great. two guys like that, that's the kind of hopes that D'Amico has for some of the guys he has with Grenard and Anderson to be able to do those kind of things, to wreak that kind of havoc when you have a Rankins in the middle of the field. But when I look at what Leonard didn't do a year ago and, he was, and, and all the things from as good as Indy used to be, I look at this game in so many ways and say, hey, look, this is you." I think all three of us picked – the Texans to win this football game for a reason. For sure. I think Stroud is better and more polished no matter where they are in their NFL careers just as a quarterback than Richardson. Richardson may be able to run more, but I I, I have always firmly believed C.J. Stroud already with his ability to throw the football, put it in the right spot, know the timing routes, do those kind of things. He should be more advanced. But that offensive line is going to scare the hell out of me because that could be the one factor that screws up your running game, screws up your passing game, and then when you don't use a guy like Tank Dell, then you're putting the game in the hands of the fact that if Richardson just runs the ball fairly effectively and can throw a pass here or there, they have more weapons. They have the ability to beat you, and they shouldn't. Yeah, and it's actually – I know we'll talk about, you know, obviously as we get closer to the Colts game, we'll talk about this. Actually, one thing I like about the Texans' schedule, even though you're starting with Baltimore, I like the idea of having two running quarterbacks back-to-back. I think, like, in terms of just, like, strategically preparing for these first two games – even though the offenses, I'm sure, are going to be very different. You got a taste of a running quarterback in Lamar Jackson, and now you're going to have it with Anthony Richardson. The biggest difference is it feels like they're going to rely on Anthony Richardson um, 
and, and heavy in the run game in a big different way. What's your guys' biggest issue with week one of the Texan season squad to Albert on the HRMP listener? Albert, what's going on? What's going on, gentlemen? Uh, I like a lot of the good points that you all were making. The offensive line, obviously, subpar. Um, I think Stroud had a lot of good, a lot of good that came from that game. Accuracy on point. I, I, my biggest concern was Bobby Slug. I haven't heard. I only listen in the morning and the afternoons going to work and coming home, but I haven't heard too much on, on Bobby's play calling. I thought it was absolutely horrible. Did not showcase what Stroud does well. Um, just a lack of those routes that he was throwing to Woods seemed to be working damn near every time. And again, emphasizing, you know, you all's point on the use of Tank Dell. I, I know you don't want to kind of undercut his knowledge of the playbook and, and do a more concise playbook, but I feel like you kind of got to dumb it down for him, at least initially. Um, let the refs come in and, and just become a better passer. And I just feel like Bobby Slug's play calling was horrible. And I just did not like the way that the game was called. I think it could have showcased Stroud a lot more just you know, making it simpler for him. But, uh, you know, I appreciate it, and we'll talk soon. Appreciate the call, Albert. Thanks for listening. Look, I, I, we talked about this earlier in the in the show. I honestly think that they did all they could do to try and simplify everything as much as possible, knowing first, first and foremost that he was going to be under siege, that because of that offensive line, they couldn't do what they wanted to do. That's why I think it's so unfair in his first game calling plays in the NFL that we're going to attack Slowick knowing that going in just the same way C.J. was kind of already one step behind because of his offensive line, Slowick was too because he had to adapt and do things differently than maybe he wanted to do with the game plan that he would have had otherwise if he had a healthy offensive line because of the fact that he knew that he couldn't do certain things that took time. Now, I will say that they should have gotten Tank more involved, in my opinion. I think Joe, yours opinion too. But I think that overall, I think it's unfair to, to, to scrutinize Slowick too much because of what he was up against with the line, which didn't allow him to take any shots down the field or extend plays or do things that a quarterback would, that has time to throw would have had. My only, I think the only thing I feel like we can like really, really criticize Bobby Sloak for, though, is the fourth down play calling. I did not think either of the decisions were, were good. The first, play, the first one was obviously a total disaster. And then, you know, taking Damian Pierce off the field on a fourth and one for Mike Boone, allowing the you know, the Ravens for the substitution, then the ref stops the play, and then just trying to roll out that same play. You've just given the Ravens the look. Obviously, we don't know this as a fact, but it sure as hell feels like they rolled out the same play that they were going to run before they stopped it. Before we go to break, Houston fans, we know you've been waiting for this. solid transition, Joe. For a long time. Big 12 football. The Houston Cougars will clash with last year's national championships runner-up, the TCU Horn Frogs, this Saturday, it's time to fill up TDECU Stadium, buy a Cougar Par package, which includes three games, and you can select TCU as one of your games. The package is only $66 and does not include Texas. Get your tickets today. Go to uhcougars.com slash tickets or call 713-GO-COUGS. We're going to give away a pair of tickets right now. Caller number 12, 713-780-3776. Gets a pair of tickets to the University of Houston versus TCU. All right, there you go. And before we go to the break, if there's a game like that that you might want to put some money on, you believe in the Cougs bouncing back, or you know you want to make a play because you don't have any rooting interest in either one of those two teams, shame on you if you don't root for the Cougs. But the bottom line is you can do it at mybookie.ag because like I always tell you, mybookie.ag has every game all the time. 
You can get in on all the action. You can do all the different ways that you normally know about gambling, from the point spreads to the money lines to the prop bets. And you can bet just about any sport that's out there. If there's a game going on, there's a pretty good chance you can bet on it at mybookie.ag. But the reason why I tell you to go there instead of all the other sites is, one, they're reliable. They've been in business for over a decade. They're going to take care of you every step of the way. And they love to give added bonuses to their customers for a loyalty or to create loyalty within their customer base. That means if you've never bet before on mybookie.ag, when you sign up for the first time, there's an initial bonus. You bet it, You put in at least $50 in your account. You can get up to $200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account that you can can use to bet on games. And if you already been a customer customer of mybookie.ag, you're not going to get left out in the cold either. For you, there's a re-up bonus where you also can get money and extra money in your account when you put more money back into your account to place money on games. The bottom line is more money in your account, more games you can bet on, and of course, more chances to win. And when you win, they're going to make sure that you can get your money out. It's absolutely fantastic. Bet your deposit amount once, you're ready to withdraw at any time. They're not going to hem and haw and try and sit on your cash because they need it more than you do. No, if you put your money in and you bet it again on the bonus money at least once, you're going to have a chance to get it out and cash in right away. Remember that promo code, no matter when when, when you have a chance to use it, check it out and use it because it's going to reap benefits for you all the time. Bet 975. Go to mybookie.ag, and as I always tell you, bet anything, anytime, anywhere. With the only place I tell you to do it, it's mybookie.ag. Brennan. Yeah, you know what that means. That means JV's on the hill when we're playing that tune, and that means that you hope that JV continues to be the guy that you went out and got at the trade deadline and he can right the ship quickly against the single A's and get you back on track. The good news is that you didn't lose any ground last night, but you lost the game. You only got one hit through eight innings. And you didn't look like the normal offensive juggernaut that we've seen over the last week to two weeks. I don't think there's anything to be concerned about, Joe, when there's just a hiccup. And if you missed it, Jeremy Branham had to skip out a little bit early tonight, but normally, you know, it's it's, it's what we do around here. We, we have uh, three quality guys that Kick it till the very limit, no matter who's got what going on, and we'll make sure that you guys are entertained. Joe, a lot of people losing their mind on social media, and we know it's a 24-second news cycle. When the Astros don't play well down the stretch in a game, in a pennant race like this, people tend to freak out. A lot of people went to bed after that, didn't realize the Mariners found a way to lose another ball game to another bad team, the Angels, and you didn't lose anything. Yeah, the Rangers gained a game, but that's okay. You look at this and say, if JV writes the ship, no harm, no foul. If they lose again tonight, now you got now you got reason to have some concern. Yeah, I, I think people are going to stress, and this is going to be the most stressful end of season Astros run we've seen. It feels like probably since like 2015. Like I, I can't remember all of them, but last year the series feels like the division was already clinched at this point. Last year, like it was such a cakewalk towards the end of the year. This is the, the most high stress it's been in a long time, and I think right now too, Joel, it's just like. It's frustrating when, you know, you take the three games from the Rangers. You score, like, 40 runs or whatever it was right. in those three games. A gajillion runs. And, and then you lose this game to the A's and last night, and if you if you can't follow it up with a win tonight, some people are just like, like what, what's going on? Like, it, it's the home thing where, you know, coming off the weekend, it kind of felt like maybe you got that monkey off your back and you won two out of three versus the Padres at home. But then you just lose that first game. We talked about it. You know, at the end of the show yesterday when we did the Wheel of Bits, we called our shot of, you know, what do you think the Astros record is going to be over the next six games? You and I both said five and one. Like, I win the next five to do that. Like, yeah. if you want to go five and one, losing the first one is not exactly how you want to feel. So, it, it is. It's stressful. And, and JV is interesting because the start before his last bad one was when he said he felt like it was the best he's been. Figured something out. And he figured something out. And then to follow up with a dud, it's just like, well... 
And it, it just feels like that's what the Astros are right now, where it's, it's really well, good, and then it's like, what's that, going on? Well, you know, we play Love Roller Coaster for the ups and downs of Framber Valdez, and once he had that, we started playing that for him, and he righted the ship. He went on that magical run last year, so we keep playing it. But it could be the theme song for the entire pitching staff this year because Framber was Cy Young worthy in the first half of the season, and then he was all over the place to start the, after the All-Star break. Uh, you know, on, and now he's settled down a little bit more. He had a good start, not a great start last night. JV, same way, ups and downs. We just got done talking a couple segments ago about both Javier, Hunter Brown, and now JP France, where they can be really good, and you know they have the ability to be really good, but you know that the, the number one word that you could give them right now is inconsistent. They're yeah. up and they're down, and you can't figure out, and that's what's scary for this team. It's not just about playoffs because you got to get there. In and order to get there, you have to have some consistency from at least one, if not two, hopefully, of those guys so that you can get where you need to go. It is interesting. It feels like the playoff stress now that they've had the division lead for like I don't know, like a week now. It, it feels like the will they make the playoffs has kind of alleviated, and I, I kind of feel like I'm pretty secure they will at least be a wild card team at the bare minimum. But I still really we we've never really wavered off the fact that they're going to win the division. But right now, even though they're only two two games up on the Rangers, I, I just think the Rangers and the Mariners are going to beat each other up. That last, you know, ten game stretch, and if the Astros can take care of their business, they'll be able to separate themselves. And you know, winning this division by four or five games, I think that's still a real possibility. I hope you're right, Joe, because here's the thing: I think this is one of the years where they pre- they preferred being the 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 hunter instead of the hunted. They preferred coming from behind and being the team that wasn't sitting high on the hog, high up top the division with a cushy lead. And when they got the lead. It seems like they did exactly what Alex Bregman said they couldn't and shouldn't do at this point, which was take their foot off the gas. Keep on going 100 miles an hour and try and win every single game. It felt like last night was one of those games where, oh, it's the A's. Oh, we're at home. Oh, we've been kicking ass. We'll be just fine. And all of a sudden, eight innings in, you got one hit. Yeah, which that game was astonishing. You want to do wheel bits? Yeah, sure. It's the Wheel of Bits on the Killer Bees. Kibbles and bits, kibbles and bits. I'm going to get me some kibbles and bits. Who knows the bits the bees will begrudgingly bite? Well, let's find out. It's time for start, sit, cut. Here's Joel and Jeremy. And Joe. <laughs> start, sit, cut. Jeremy's not here, so I don't have to repeat it for everyone. I was going to say, I, for one, can interpret R2-S2 or S2-D2. S2-D2. Uh, start, sit, cut. St- quarterbacks you think are most likely to win a Super Bowl in the next five years. Josh Allen, Tua Tagovailoa, Dak Prescott. So I'm going to go with what I said against what Jeremy said. Shockingly enough, uh, when it comes to Josh Allen, and we'll play, we'll play like win a Super Bowl, get to a Super Bowl, never make one in the next five years. The next five years, Josh Allen, I believe, is going to win a Super Bowl. I believe, like you said, I think he's going to win one. I'm not saying it's a dynasty. I'm not saying he's Patrick Mahomes, but I believe that he has enough ability, and that team is still their defense is really good. And, and and they have the ability to replace a Diggs if it's not Diggs. If they do get a better running game, too, I, I believe that this team, and they've got a good young tight end now, I believe that this team can win a Super Bowl. So I'm going to start Josh Allen. I'm going to sit. This is tough for me. I'm going to a sit. Tua or a Dak. Who gets to a Super Bowl but doesn't win one? I think that Tua does. Really? Because I can't believe in Mike McCarthy. That, I, I agree. Part of it's like... Well, he could be gone in a year. Well, I know, but after that first game, their offense looked... I mean, they really didn't do they much. They didn't have to do like, anything after they got the two turnover touchdowns to where basically the, the, it, 
the Giants laid down and played dead the whole game. I think they had like 143 pass yeah. yards stacked. Like he didn't do anything in that game. I swear, I don't really feel like we learned anything about the Dallas Cowboys in Week One. We didn't. And here's the thing, Joe. This is why this is tough to make this decision. I think the better football team, top to bottom, is Miami. But I believe that trying to get through the gauntlet of both Mahomes and Allen, Burrow and Herbert is a really, really tough scenario to, to think that you can get by all them just to get there. Whereas if you get by the Eagles and the Eagles and or the Niners, the, those are the only two teams you worry about in the NFC, that Dallas could do that. The road seems to be paved easier for the Cowboys than it is the Dolphins. Yeah, that's where I, I would go Buffalo. I would go Josh Allen, win a Super Bowl, Dak can get to one, Tua will not. And I think it's just because of the fact that the AV, AFC is loaded. And is you know, mush for brands. Doesn't yeah, help. Well, yeah, you can't take that one big hit. But you know, he didn't get Dak sacked last a big week. One too. He didn't get hit last week. He looked really damn good. Oh, they were that offense is awesome. When they're clicking, like Tyreek Hill was a monster if in Bengals, that game. If the Bengals, if this is if this is more of a a, a a norm than a screw up, if the Bengals got issues, they can beat the Chargers. They proved that. If they could just beat Buffalo and or Kansas City, I, I can't. I, I can never pick the Dallas Cowboys for anything. I'm benching the. Fair. I mean, I, I'm cutting the Cowboys. All right, that'll do it for us. You do it, I do it, we do it, Jeremy does it. We can all do it. We can do it in unison if you want. That's another episode of the Killer Bees. We love you. We appreciate you listening. Jeremy will be back uh, tomorrow, and so will me, Joe and I, and we'll be back with more fun and games, hopefully coming off an Astros victory. What's coming up next, Joe? I'm coming up next. Joe, what's coming up next? The bullpen with me.